major medical organizations, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, the Endocrine Society, the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, and the American Psychiatrics Association have evidence-based statements and guidelines on how to provide age-appropriate, gender-affirming care. Welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. Come on in. Hey, so Julie, I think there are a lot of people who aren't very clear about how to understand the trans community. I totally agree, Cindy. And I think it can make people turn away or judge. And it's usually based on very little information. I think there are plenty of people who feel really uncomfortable about it. Yes, and some of them make that abundantly clear in negative and hurtful ways. Yes, they do. And others are just quiet about it, but they are still judging, and it's based on very little understanding or even misunderstandings. And that's why today we're going to try to enlighten ourselves and you listeners more about trans issues. Right. Let's start with a basic definition. Gender dysphoria is a feeling of anguish that happens for some people when their gender identity, that is their sense of being male or female or neither or a combination of both, is different from the gender that they were assigned at birth. So not all transgender or gender diverse people have gender dysphoria, but for those who do, the pain of living in a body that doesn't match their gender can lead to intense psychological issues like anxiety, depression, sadness, low self-esteem, and a sense of loss. And it can also lead to self-harm and suicidality. It can feel really unbearable. It can. A lot of people, though, question whether or not gender-affirming care should be available to children. But there's lots of scientific evidence showing strong benefits for trans people's health. And why wouldn't there be? Cisgendered people, that would be us, or people like us, whose gender identity matches the gender we were assigned at birth, we receive strong, culturally supported, gender-affirming care right up from infancy on. That's right. Some people who worry about affirming children's gender explorations cite studies which show that a lot of children change their minds over time. Children are flexible. It's hard to know how many do and what makes that happen. Right. We know that children are more gender fluid than grown-ups in general, and they also enjoy playing or experimenting with all kinds of activities, clothing, and identities. Hormonal differences between children don't really begin until around age eight, and then they become significant at puberty. 
So more than a dozen studies of more than 30,000 transgender and gender diverse children and youth consistently show that access to gender affirming care is linked with better mental health. And lack of access is associated with, as you might expect, higher rates of depression, self-harm, and suicidality. Still, based on unfounded concerns, dozens of states have recently passed or are considering passing laws that restrict gender-affirming care, mostly for people under 18. Right. Interestingly, the medical world strongly disagrees with that political world. Nearly every major medical association recognizes that gender-affirming care is a medical necessity. It's like cisgendered people don't realize how much gender affirmation we get all the time. So major medical organizations, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, the Endocrine Society, the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, and the American Psychiatrics Association have evidence-based statements and guidelines on how to provide age-appropriate gender-affirming care. That's pretty convincing. That's a long list of major medical organizations, Cindy. (laughs) It is. (laughs) All of these groups consider gender-affirming care for children and adolescents to be evidence-based and medically necessary, even if those of us who are not in those organizations, I mean, we are in the APA, but other, you know, lots of people might not think it's necessary, but all of these medical people think it's necessary. Now, that isn't to say they encourage hormones and surgeries for children with gender dysphoria. They don't. Right. Let's make that clear. Before puberty, gender-affirming care is about supporting gender development, not gender transitions. I think that's a big difference that people don't understand. I agree. This is about valuing children for who they are at every age and every stage, instead of trying to predict who they might be or prevent them from becoming some way they want to be or from developing in ways they want to grow. Yeah, gender-affirming care follows the child's lead. Children need a safe environment. They always need a safe environment, but they certainly need a safe environment to explore their lives and how they feel without fear. Being gender affirming does not mean pushing children into hormones and surgery at all. No, it means talking to them, helping them explore and encouraging openness and conversation. Which you would want to do with all children. Anyway. Yeah. It can also include taking their lead and calling them by a name that they prefer or referring to their gender as they prefer. Anything more than that isn't actually recommended by all those medical organizations until puberty. So then puberty begins around 10 or 11, give or take a couple years. And puberty blockers, when they're recommended, aren't recommended for children who haven't started puberty yet. Yeah, for a child beginning puberty with a diagnosis of gender dysphoria and a lot of related issues and many conversations, puberty blockers might be prescribed as part of doing no harm. It just gives time. The medication used most often to block or delay the changes of puberty are called gonadotropin-releasing hormone analogs. 
and they've been used for a long time for cisgender children who start puberty early with good outcomes. Yeah, they stop the body from producing sex hormones like estrogen or testosterone. Right. So then children with gender dysphoria may need puberty blockers to buy more time to form their gender identity before their body starts to move even more into what for them will be a dysphoric state, matching the gender they were assigned at birth and the one that causes them great distress because they don't identify with it. Yeah, a 2020 study of 300 youth found that issues like self-harm, suicidal thoughts, and depression increased as children with gender dysphoria were made to proceed with puberty according to their assigned sex. So just pausing puberty gives children and their families time to prepare for all that might lie ahead for them, the psychological, medical, social, legal issues they may be heading towards. It's an adjustment for everybody. And family support and encouragement is an important part of boosting mental health and well-being for children with gender dysphoria, of course. In most of the cases, parental permission is needed for the analogs because the children aren't at the age of medical consent, but it still isn't easy to just sign your kid up for them. Right. To begin using puberty blockers, the child has to show a lasting pattern of gender nonconformity or dysphoria and have gender dysphoria that began or worsened at the start of puberty. They also have to take a look at any psychological, medical, or social problems that could interfere, and they have to be able to understand the treatment and agree to have it. That's also called informed consent. The medicine is usually given in shots, and it is monitored by a healthcare professional. Important to note, puberty blockers don't cause permanent changes, though they might have side effects like swelling at the site of the shot, weight gain, hot flashes, headaches, also mood changes. These are all reversible, and they stop when the medication stops, or even before. Yeah, for transgender and gender-diverse youth with gender dysphoria, Delaying puberty can improve well-being, it can lower depression and anxiety, it can improve social interactions, and most importantly, it can decrease thoughts or acts of self-harm. Taking puberty blockers alone without other medical or behavioral treatment might not be enough to help a child with gender dysphoria in the long run, but they can be stopped at any time, and once a person stops taking them, their puberty begins again. Some young people decide to stop the blockers and go through puberty of their assigned gender. Once a person is 16 and has been on puberty blockers for at least a year, with their gender dysphoria persisting, they can be eligible to start gender-affirming hormone treatment, which has been shown to greatly reduce depression in transgender people. Again, not all trans people need or want hormones or surgery to feel affirmed or good about themselves. Some just need acceptance and affirming care. But for those that do need it, hormone therapy can really help dysphoria. Gender-affirming hormone therapy often involves taking an androgen blocker to block the release of testosterone and other hormones. Or it can include estrogen in trans-feminine teens and testosterone in trans-masculine teens. Like when a child goes through puberty, some of the changes triggered by hormone therapy are irreversible or can only be reversed with surgery. Yeah, teens with access to puberty blockers or gender-affirming hormones, and this is important, they were 60% less likely 
to be moderately or severely depressed, and even more importantly, 73% less likely to consider self-harm or suicide. These are high numbers. Still, some states are trying to pass laws to stop people under certain ages from getting hormone therapy, even with parental consent. Of course, those states are mostly red. Making it harder to access gender-affirming health care has made suicide rates among transgender people rise noticeably. Yet, according to research and medical society guidelines, the benefits of gender-affirming care outweigh the risks. Of course it does. I mean, you can see how it outweighs the risk because people are not trying to kill themselves. And most U.S. medical centers follow guidelines from the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. Typically, before a person is cleared for surgery, they have to be at least 18 to 21 or have parental consent, and they have to have had persistent, well-documented gender dysphoria and get intensive treatment by a medical team. And they also need to be able to make a fully informed decision, meaning they understand the risks and benefits of any procedure and they consent to the treatment. Surgical procedures aren't recommended for minors. For most people, by the time they're eligible, surgery is something they've thought about, even wished for, for a really long time. Yeah, this is all really important. But one of the arguments in favor of restricting gender-affirming care for young people claims that patients may someday regret their transition. You might think that, but the truth is studies actually show the opposite. It's pretty striking. One review of multiple studies published in 2021 involving both short and long-term satisfaction after surgery found that of those who underwent trans-feminine and trans-masculine procedures, only 1% regretted it. You know, that means 99% did not regret it. And if you think about the change in suicide attempts and rates when people aren't provided care, it's really in favor of giving people the care they need. It's a really low regret rate. And actually, it's really low even when you compare it to the regrets that people have about all sorts of other procedures. And no one questions your right to have those other procedures like plastic surgery or other things. And it's true, Julie, a review of satisfaction and regret surveys found that a lot more people regret a lot of other kinds of surgeries, much more than those who undergo gender-affirming surgery. And like you said, nobody's trying to ban other procedures people choose, even though the median regret rate there has been found to be over 14%. I mean, think about all that plastic surgery and then 14% of the people or whatever surgeries they're getting, they regret it. That's high. That is. States trying to stop transgender teens and children from receiving gender-affirming care are just not paying attention to all of the accumulated research and information. Exactly, Cindy. A lot of the bans include social gender transitioning, acknowledging that a young person is trans, using their correct pronouns and name, and supporting their desire to live publicly as the gender of their experience rather than their sex assigned at birth. And it strikes me, you know, if somebody's little girl wants to be called Princess Ella, they do it. Yep. But they might not want to call her, you know, Michael. And according to the wealth of scientific information we now have, appropriate gender-affirming care significantly improves a child's health and well-being. Right. Just because some people may not be able to relate to it or feel the same way 
does not give them the right to claim it does not exist or is not important. If you don't understand something, make the effort to learn more about it. I mean, that's what we're doing right here, right now. But don't just judge. The lives of children and teens literally lie in the balance. And I'm talking to you, politicians, not just our listeners. Mm -hmm. With restrictive laws, tens of thousands of teens across the United States could lose access to or never receive gender-affirming care. While we have research that shows that treatment reduces a lot of negative impacts, including severe depression and suicide. Living as a transgender person is a very brave and difficult thing to do for a lot of people. It's frightening, especially in certain families and in certain parts of this country. There are more and more organizations working with current evidence to help us all to better understand and support trans children and youth. You can check out organizations like HealthyChildren.org, TransYouthEquality.org, or the National Center for Transgender Equality at TransEquality.org. It's always good to learn more. Thanks for listening. You can find us at ShrinksOnThird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at ShrinksOnThird. Till next time. Take care.